0: RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. We are at RPG LL Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. RPG LL Podcast at gmail.com. And check us out online at RPG Lessons Hi, welcome to RPG Lessons Learned, the show where you can learn from our mistakes. So today, it's just me. This is my first ever solo episode of RPG LL. So this is Dusty. Um Brian and Mike were not involved in the game that I'm about to talk about. We have tried in the past to have them interview me about games where I was present but they were not, but they've both complained that it comes off as pretty artificial. It's difficult for them to ask the right questions. So, I made extensive notes for myself and I'm trying to just do this solo and talk everyone through a game that I played with a completely different crew than usual. In fact, this is a game that I put together specifically for my then 10-year-old niece. So it, it's, a, it's a game meant for kids. So my niece played, uh, my sister-in-law, my niece's mother played, and my wife, my niece's aunt, naturally, played. So this was a My Little Pony game. And I want to start off by saying, not that there's anything wrong with being a brony, I'm not a brony. I'm a father. Um, I've got a six-year-old right now. She was three at the time. She's been into My Little Pony for years. I watch it, with her. it was or is on Netflix. She's moved on. She doesn't watch it anymore. It certainly was on Netflix, and we watched a great deal of it. So I'm very familiar with My Little Pony, though I wouldn't call myself a fan. But my niece got into role-playing games. We actually played a couple of games on a vacation together. I was sitting there getting an adventure ready for, for the guys, and she wanted to know what I was doing. So I, I handed her some dice, and I ran her through a couple of Dungeons & Dragons adventure um, in, a, in a very fast, stripped-down sort of way. So she had wanted to play more RPGs. So we decided she was a complete fanatic for My Little Pony. Um, My daughter was, my niece was too. My niece was 10, wildly into it, had been into it for years, lots of toys, lots of books. So decided to run... um a my little pony game for her. Didn't want to invite her friends over. I lived pretty far away. It was it was in the middle of a family visit, so it needed to be a family game. Um that's why my sister-in-law and my wife played. So, right there of of the four people at the table, three of them had no real mechanical familiarity with RPGs. I mean, my niece had a little bit of exposure but no familiarity. Um flavor-wise, all you know everyone at the table, all four of us We're familiar with My Little Pony, so that made it really easy to engage with the plot. And then as far as the power dynamic goes, um, we, the adults, all talked ahead of time and made sure that that we all understood that we would let my niece um, drive the story, drive the decisions, drive what the party does. So we got all that out of the way. We aligned on that before we even got together. Also, before we got together, I wanted to choose a system um we we, i played DD fifth edition with my niece Um, we played dusk Um, you've heard me talk about dusk before Uh, it was a very watered down version of dusk for her we played another D, &D, sort of fifth edition sort of stripped down adventure that you could still find for free called the monster slayers and there's actually two of those um wizards of the coast put those adventures out they're really neat. Um, They're really meant for kids, really simplified rules. It's sort of 5th edition. I played that with her, and actually she didn't find that terribly satisfying because there's not an awful lot of story in the Monster Slayers. But in both of those cases, those were very combat-focused games. In Dusk, you know, of course, the the, the Penny Arcade Adventure Dusk, you're rescuing uh, a young woman from a cadre of vampires. In Monster Slayers, you play a group of kids that have learned how to be Monster Slayers and, and... they're practicing to graduate their final exam. So both games, you know, fair amount of combat. I wanted something less combat focused. And at this time, three years ago, I wasn't yet aware of Hero Kids. I wasn't yet aware of World of Dungeons or Dungeon World. I wasn't aware of Pocket Fantasy RPG. What I was aware of was fate. Just a couple of years ago these were these were fate was huge. Fate was the thing that everyone was talking about. Fate's still popular. Don't get me wrong, but remember a couple of years ago when it was everyone's you know first game other than D and D. It was everyone's first foray into something that wasn't D and D. So I actually chose to go with Fate Accelerated Edition. I've actually got the booklet right here. It's it's a really thin book. Simple rules. It's flexible. You create characters with aspects, approaches, and stunts. The aspects are sort of a couple of phrases about your character, the approaches or the actual numbers, and then stunts are things that you can do, you know, a couple times per session that, that modify those numbers from when you roll. You play fate with fudge die. Um, fudge die have, uh, it's a six-sided die, two sides are pluses, two sides are minuses, two sides are neutral. So whenever you roll a single fudge die, you could get, you know, a plus one, a minus one, or or a nothing, and you always roll four of those. So your your range is anywhere from negative four to positive four, but of course uh, it's it's a huge bell curve with four dice. It's it's a bell curve where you're mostly going to wind up around no modifier, around plus one to minus one to, to nothing. That little range there is where most of your rolls fall, and then fudge slash fate work off of a ladder of success where you've got rolls, you know, your minus four to your to your plus whatever with your with your bonuses. Your roles range from terrible at the minus four end, to legendary. There are four basic actions in fate. You can create an advantage. You can overcome a disadvantage. You can attack and you can defend. And that's really it. So it's a pretty simple system. Um, I felt good about using it before I used it. But then I used it, I discovered a couple of issues. One is that you have to constantly reference your sheet or the book. It's a very mechanical system um, for me this is my experience with fate accelerated fate really rewards you for playing directly from your character sheet it rewards you from playing you know your aspects your stunts it rewards you for all that you're constantly referencing it to see what can I do what modifies this role um, it's good for consistent characters uh, it was really good for my wife was playing lotus blossom which is a pony in my little pony My sister in law was playing DJ Pwn3, which is a sort of a DJ character in My Little Pony. Um, It was really good to let them be consistent and consistently play those characters. So great for the characters, bad for the players. A lot of referencing, a lot of looking up. And then for me, GMing a game of fate, I'm constantly looking at those 11 different levels of success. Um, World of Dungeons or Dungeon World has three you know, you succeed entirely. You succeed with a consequence, or you just get a consequence. That's it. It's easier for me to keep, you know, mentally. It's it's easier for me to keep in mind. But uh, fate has got 11, 11 different levels of success. What's the difference between you know legendary and great? I don't know. It's pretty tough to conceptualize eleven different versions of success for every possible role. So some issues with with the system in play. But still overall, I'm glad I chose Fate Accelerated. For what I knew at the time, it didn't focus on combat. My players could do anything. They could think of anything and try anything, and you can say accurately that the same is true in D&D 5th Edition. You can accurately say, "Hey, you can use your dexterity, your strength, your intelligence, your wisdom and just do flat rolls against that. D&D 5th Edition allows that." and attempt anything you want, and you're right. But I really liked my players having stunts and having aspects to their character that were specifically not combat-related. They could have no, nothing combat-related. It's all about, you know, what were their skills. Lotus Blossom is this sort of pony that's into yoga and herbal teas and that kind of thing. What does she bring to the table as far as going on an adventure or solving this mystery um, other than combat? Because she's not a combat-focused character. I liked the focus on non-combat. I really liked that a lot. Props. Did a lot of props. Used a lot of props for this game. Um, I had been collecting pony miniatures for my daughter. My daughter has always loved tiny little things. Tiny little toys. So we feed that. Uh, I've talked before about Fidal Publishing, P-H-I-D-A-L. Fidal Publishing does these little My Busy books where it's a, the book is a box and you open it up and there's always 12 miniature toys in the box. Well, there's one of those for My Little Pony, or there was. It might be tough to find now. But it included all the main characters, all the main ponies. It included um, Nightmare Moon, Princess Celestia. It, it included a bunch of, of a really good base of ponies to work from. And I'd also been buying my daughter, you know, sets of the miniature ponies and even a few of the blind bags when they were on sale, which I'm not a huge fan of blind bags. But, you know, it's your kid. What are you going to do? And it's reasonable. It's cheap. And she loved it. She got so much enjoyment. She has this whole tub filled with ponies. So I had pony miniatures to use. I knew I wanted to use maps. I knew I wanted a lot of visuals for my niece. I wanted a lot of visuals for my 11-year-old, 10-year-old niece to play this game. So I took Gaming Paper Singles, so GamingPaper.com. By the way, no affiliation with All Publishing, no affiliation with GamingPaper.com, no affiliation with anyone. But uh, I took that Gaming Paper and I drew a bunch of different maps, a map for every area, and I laminated those. God, I love my laminator. My laminator is still the best D&D um, proper accessory I've ever bought for my game. Created these maps, laminated them, um, So I had miniatures, I had maps, character sheets. I took the Fade Accelerated character sheet and I went online and I found this draw your own pony template where it's sort of a templated pony with all the generic features of a My Little Pony pony. And then you could sort of fill in and change the shape of the muzzle to indicate, you know, is it a boy? Is it a girl? You could change the, customize the cutie mark, customize the mane, customize the tail, And it was really meant for kids, as the sort of draw-your-own-pony graphic. I put that on the character sheet. I created the character sheets for all the different ponies that we wanted to use. We didn't use any of the main ponies. The so-called main six, you know, Rainbow Dash. Gosh, I'm blanking on the other ponies' names. Twilight Sparkle, Rainbow Dash, uh, Pinkie Pie. We didn't use any of those. The whole point of this game was to have a different group, and I'll get into that in a minute. So I had the character sheets already done. I went and read the bios of the ponies online on the My Little Pony wiki, and I used that to create all the aspects and all the stunts and all that. And then I wanted something a little special in addition to the maps, the minis, and the character sheets, which are standard. And I went and found a book, a really nice hardcover 6 by 9 My Little Pony book called The Journal of the Two Sisters, which is supposed to be this journal that these two princess ponies write to each other or or wrote in a millennia ago when they were young. So I took this book, The Journal of the Two Sisters, and I I had that as a game prop. And I wanted to make that book central to the plot. So I actually went through the book and I, I noted passages that could be used as clues in an adventure. And I created this letter with a hidden message. And for the hidden message I use which which has become a big trick for me, but I love it and it always gets a big reaction. I took these black light reactive markers. I, I wrote the ordinary message You know, I I dipped a paintbrush in India ink to brush the letters on and make it look old-fashioned on this really nice resume parchment paper. And then I took these markers that were blacklight reactive and I wrote the hidden message. And there were three hidden messages that each referred back to a passage in the book. And you could read that passage and get a clue for, you know, go talk to the Griffins, deal with the Chimera, um, deal with, and I forget who who the third adversary was, but it has these, these three different adversaries for them to deal with in no particular order that would lead them to the to the ultimate adversary so lots of props the miniatures the maps the character sheets that really nice book and then the letter with a hidden message that referred to the book so i had i didn't have the letter written yet but i had the book I'd, i had done some maps i'd done i pulled together the miniatures and i needed to pull together a story you know what's going on in this game my niece's huge fanatic was a huge fanatic at the time my Little Pony. So she would have known um, anything that didn't fit with the universe, she would have sniffed that out in a heartbeat. So I needed to have a good plot that was very My Little Pony, but that didn't conflict with the overall overarching plot of the series. So to do that, I decided that there are these two princesses, right? Celestia and Luna in the world of Equestria. And the main six characters of the show are Celestia's elements of harmony, are Celestia's adventurers that help Celestia. So the premise of the game is that Luna decides to pull together, Luna's the Princess of Night, she pulls together her group of adventurers, her group that's going to help her. And the, those, were, those were the three characters at the table. That, that was my niece, my, uh, my wife, and my sister-in-law. So Luna's going to build this team around them, around the elements of adventure. In my head, as I watch My Little Pony with My Daughter, Princess Luna's backstory is actually really neat, and it's in the first couple of episodes, first episode, I think, where she turned evil a millennia ago and turned into this evil pony, villain called Nightmare Moon. And then she was redeemed and she's good. And in my head, I was like, wouldn't it be really neat if she retained some of that Nightmare Moon power, but was using it for good? Like, she's sort of the nighttime protector of Equestria, like the Batman of Equestria. And, you know, she needed to recruit some help here and there because she can't be everywhere and do everything. So that's the background of the adventure, was Luna pulling together her own team, and and everyone at the table is part of that team. It's great. It doesn't conflict with the main plot of the series. Uh, It lets them be these minor characters that can be specialists, DJ Pwn3, Lotus Blossom. They appear in episodes briefly, but you know, they're never no episodes centered on them as far as I know. So good way to be a part of the universe, but a step to the left or a step to the right, and not on camera during any of the of the series. For the story, Celestia's missing is the hook I decided to go with. So Luna has called her adventurers together to give them this mission to say, Hey, my sister, the Princess of the Day, is missing. I, Luna, am having to do double duty on raising the sun and the moon, and I'm having to deal with uh, all of the trappings of Celestia's office. I need you to go look for Celestia. This is really concerning. And then she handed them the journal with uh, with the note tucked in. So right away, I'm handing that to my niece and letting her look through it right away, I've got a map of Princess Luna's office with Princess Luna's sort of Nightmare Moon symbol inlaid in the floor. I wish I would have grabbed the map to show you guys. It's right in there. But anyway, it's very visual. I've got Princess Luna behind the desk. I have all the miniatures out there. It was very engaging for my niece to see the map, a few minis, their miniatures, because I made sure that every character I drew up for them, I had a miniature out of my daughter's giant box of ponies for that character. Right away, it's very visually engaging. So she loved that. The adventure, just really quick, the plot, I had these three sets of villains that they needed to go after. The the griffins, the Manicores, and then an evil pegasus. So the griffins and the Manicores. Uh, the griffin was in, was in the orchard, so I had a map of the orchard. Manicore was in a cave. I had a two-sheet long map of the cave for them to sneak through. And then the evil pegasus was on the bridge, and they had to deal with, it, with the evil pegasus. The evil pegasus, by the way, was not a My Little Pony miniature. I got a Paizo miniature, which was quite a gruesome-looking evil Pegasus. So it was really fun to pull that out at the end. I decided that, and that coincidentally became the end, I decided that whichever of the three bad groups that my niece chose to visit, whichever was the last one, that would be the one that had Celestia. So she could go to whatever order she wanted. You know, there's no Celestia, but they're bad and they've got to escape. Twice, and then the third time you meet with success, and you find Celestia and you free her. So that was the basic structure of the adventure. And then I had all the miniatures of all these bad things because that that My Little Pony box book box had the Chimera, it had the Griffin, it had all the stuff. I had all these miniatures to base the game around. Okay, we play. A couple lessons learned. One, if you're playing with kids, if you're playing with multiple kids, and I've learned this later, this wasn't in this game but one of those kids is going to want to be in charge. Our daughter is uh an only child, so she she can certainly she wants to drive the action when we play with her. My niece was the only child in the game, so thankfully we as adults were able to all agree she's driving the decisions, she's running the plot, she's in charge. That worked well. So figure out ahead of time who's in charge. If you're playing with a bunch of kids and you're playing an Avengers game or whatever you happen to have miniatures for, choose one of the kids that you think would be the most equitable as far as sharing the spotlight and say, hey, you are Captain America or Iron Man or whoever, whichever character is in in charge, and you're in charge, and you make the final decision, and everyone looks up to you. And make sure the kids know that. And if you play with these kids often, rotate through them and, and let them be in charge. But make sure that the table knows who's in charge. Adults can negotiate that social power structure. Adults can say... I don't want to be in charge of this game. Mike, you take the reins. Kids always want to be in charge. So assign it. Let them know. Tell them. Tell them which kid at the table is actually in charge. Important lesson that I knew going into this game that's worth mentioning to you if you're you're planning to play with kids. Another lesson. Hook them and pull them. So I needed to hook my niece as an 11-year-old and pull her from scene to scene to get her to walk through the entire adventure, so I could tell right away in the first scene with my wife and my sister-in-law and my niece, they didn't know, you know, perception checks, uh, sense motive. They didn't know any of that. They didn't have any of that gamer brain language to pull out and use to find the plot. The plot had to find them. So I, I really walked them through the adventure, and that was fine. It didn't. It didn't hurt anything, and they still got to make meaningful choices but instead of letting them find the choices, to pull them along, I would just directly ask them the choices. So I'd present the clues and then I'd say, okay, do you want to go to the orchard? Do you want to go to the cave? Or do you want to go to the bridge? And just directly ask them those questions and pull them through the adventure. Really important. Mechanics. If you're the GM and you're playing with a table of folks who've never played before, I'm sorry to say, you're going to have to pull that weight. You have to pull the weight of the mechanics of the system. Very quickly to get them out of their character sheets, need to get them out of the aspects and the approaches and all that kind of stuff. To get them out of that, I said, You know what? Just tell me what you want to do. To my wife, I said, Susan, you know you're Lotus Blossom. You know you're into yoga and tea and all that, which by the way, my wife actually is, so it was perfect. You tell me just what you want to do and how you want to approach this. They wind up using chamomile tea to put one of the villains to sleep. Again, no combat. Focus on the skills, focus on the background of this character. Tell me what you want to do, I'll tell you what to roll. So be prepared as a GM to pull that weight for these new players, especially for kids. And it's okay. It's great for them and a relief for them for me to say, Tell me what you want to do, I'll tell you what to roll. Finally, I talked about this a little bit earlier, but the well rounded system of fate using the chamomile tea from Lotus Blossom's background to put someone to sleep. DJ Pwn 3. You know, whipping out the stereo system and using it to blast the eardrums, you know, uh, of the evil Pegasus. You know, these were all solutions that actually happened at the table and that were driven by my wife and by my sister in law. I didn't come up with these. I can't remember what all my niece came up with, but she did stuff too. They got to make these fun decisions that were very cartoony, that were very thematic to the show, and it really worked uh, as far as solving problems and not having violence be the de facto solution to every problem so fate for all that i complain about how mechanical it is really worked well for that so that's it that is the my little pony game that i played with my niece my wife and my sister-in-law this was a couple of years ago it went really well and i hope you have success introducing gaming to the children in your life that's it thank you for listening people call them postmortems, evaluations appraisals reviews retrospectives We call them Lessons Learned, and we're sharing ours with you.